was fun, wasn't it? All right, thank you team for doing that. Terrific. I wanna add my happy Father's Day to all the dads. I especially wanna wish my dad who lives in Wyoming a happy Father's Day. He watches on Sunday morning. So happy Father's Day, dad. Love, love you and I'm glad you're in my life. And uh, before I start my message, I wanna give just a quick update on some of the results of the Blessed Life series that we just finished. And I, many of you have said, you know what, we're in on that 90-day tithe challenge. And it's been so encouraging. I'm even talking to people today, even people going, hey, I want to get in. Is it too late? And it's, and it's not. But I just want to say thank you. Now there are 67 households who said we're in on the tithe challenge. So thank you to all of you who signed up. And if you haven't done it yet, maybe you're going, you know, I've I already tithe, or I've been thinking about it, I just haven't filled out the card. You know, we'd love to know. So fill out the card. There's, you can also do it online. Drop it in one of those black boxes on your way out. And because uh, we're going to be praying for this group of people specifically over the next 90 days and beyond that. So, so that's, love to have you on the team. <clears throat> How many of you are planning a road trip or a vacation of any kind this summer? How many? All right, all right. How many of you are going someplace new, someplace you've never been before? Yeah, that's part of the point of road trips. Barbara and I, my wife and I, we love road trips. And uh, here's our road trip rig that we go on road trips on. And uh, so I want to show you some road trip pictures, and I want to see if you know where we are. All right, in the picture. So here's the first one. Where are we? This is, uh, that's Wyoming, yes. This one here. Uh, where is this? A little closer than the beach. Yes, you're right. Uh, Oregon coast. Yep, that's the Oregon coast. Next one. Think opposite. Florida coast. No, that's not Wyoming. Somebody said Wyoming. No. <clears throat> Get, where's this one? No, there's glaciers on that mountain. Mount Rainier, Washington. What a lovely hike. This is Little Wild Horse Canyon in Utah. Somebody said Utah. There was a rock slide and I had to jump in and keep people from getting crushed. So I just, you know, it's a walk in the park for me. And then uh, this one, where's this? It's Colorado. Yeah, I mean, name a place, right? It could be any place in Colorado in the fall. This happens to be over by Carbondale. This one, think north, not Alaska. Canada, yes, Canada. There's a big Athabasca glacier right behind there. It was the year of the forest fires, so that's all smoke. Um, but, and then this place. It's my wife. If you're married, the sooner you find this place and understand that this is the center of the universe, the happier you'll be and the better the road trip will be. I love my wife. And then, uh, so uh, here's what we want you to do. <coughs> I got to share mine. Thank you for indulging me. But we'd love to see some of your road trip pictures. So send your road trip pictures to, to roadtrip at crossroadscolorado.com. They don't have to be from this summer, although they could be. <coughs> as Rod mentioned, we're starting a new road trip this summer together as we wind our way through the book, the New Testament book of Acts. And this book covers ground that no other book in the New Testament does. And we're gonna stop at places along the way probably most of us have never been. And the book starts, it's gonna begin our trip in Jerusalem. Chapter one, we're in Jerusalem. Anybody been to Jerusalem? All right, probably wasn't a road trip, but you've been. And how many, and then the book ends in Rome. How many of you have been to Rome? Oh wow, even more. 
Awesome. And in between Jerusalem and Rome in the book of Acts are all kinds of steps along, all kinds of stops along the way. And when we go on road trips, we'll go to big cities and areas that are very popular and familiar. And there are some of those in Acts. Places we've heard of like Athens, Corinth, Sicily, Cyprus, Italy, Greece. When you go on a road trip, how many of you like to get off the interstate highways and begin to like travel down the off the beaten pathways? Any of you do that? Yeah, we love to go local, local. And, uh, and so there are a lot of those places in the book of Acts as well, places we've never heard of. Perga, Derby, Lystrum, my favorite, Adramidium. I'm from Adramidium. Guess how many places, cities or countries are mentioned by name in the book of Acts? 99, by name. Now that is a road trip. We're not gonna stop at every one. Series would be 99 weeks long, so it's not that. And one of the reasons we take a road trip is to experience something new, right? We wanna see new scenery, new parts of the country. We wanna eat new food, maybe meet some new people along the way. And so this summer, as we go through the book of Acts, we hope and pray that you experience something new in your life this summer. Maybe something new in your life with God, a place you've never been before. A place of peace or rest or excitement or joy or encouragement. A place in your heart you've never been before. Or maybe you uh, wanna meet some new people this summer. You're ready for some new relationships. You might be new to the area or you're kind of bored with your old friends and you wanna meet some new people. Or maybe your life is either so boring or so chaotic that you just wanna step back for a little bit and get off of that treadmill and enter into a life of deeper significance and relationship and importance and purpose. And there is, in our series, there is opportunity for all of that to happen this summer. There is. And as you've discovered, even when you go on a road trip, it's not always conflict free, no problems along the way, because oftentimes in road trips, like our lives, there are things that happen, discouragement, confusion, conflict, setbacks, breakups, and breakdowns. We were on a road trip in New Brunswick, Canada one year, and we had, had driven to this area where there's lots of covered bridges, and we were on our way back to the main road, and I suggested to my wife, let's take a sh shortcut. shortcut. I know my way. We were out of cell phone coverage, so we had no Siri, no GPS. And so we're driving along, and the road just keeps getting narrower and narrower and more windy. And so along the way, my wife suggests this. Hey, Dennis, why don't we stop and ask for directions? I know my way. It's New Brunswick. So eventually, we drive up this, we get to this spot where the road just gets real curvy and real steep. It's like a logging road, all right? Trees, rocks. I finally stop. I look over to Barbara and I said, I'm sorry, I think we're officially lost. And she says to me, no, you're lost, I'm with you. <laughs> so we turn around, drive back, drive into this lovely farmstead where this wonderful couple gives us directions, and I'm sure they were quite amused when we drove into the yard with U.S. license plates on our car, but they were very, and we got back on the main road. <clears throat> How many of you have been lost on a road trip? 
How many of you have ever been with someone when they got lost? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Sometimes we lose our way in life. Don't we? I think we've all been there. Where we come to a place where we've exhausted all of our own resources. We had this good idea to go this way or to start this relationship or buy this business, pursue this opportunity, develop this habit, and frankly, it didn't work. And you sit at the kitchen table with your head in your hands and you just have to admit to God and to yourself, I've lost my way, I think I'm lost. And in that moment, God will come to you and the good news is this, he will say, you're not lost, I know exactly where you are and I can come and take you back and lead you back to the good life. Now that's the kind of road trip that God has us on. So are you ready to go on this road trip with us? You wanna do this thing with, it's acts for everyone. So I hope that you'll go on this trip with us this summer. And today I'm calling my talk, Get Ready for New. Whenever we go on a road trip, we need to prepare, we need to get ready. And so I wanna talk about four things to prepare for as we, want, as we head into new this summer. So the number one is a new Jesus. Here's how the book starts, the book of Acts. You can turn to it, it's in your program notes, it's on the screens. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, everybody thought, we know this Jesus. We know this Jesus. Stories had been circulating about the amazing power and influence this person had. I mean, he could heal the sick, he could control storms, lightning and rainstorms. He could walk on the water. He could even raise people from the dead. And so the disciples, the crowds, the current religious leaders all thought this was Jesus' moment to seize power and become the new king, the new Messiah. And then Jesus goes and gets himself crucified. Dead, buried, stone cold dead. And everybody thought, this new thing that we were so excited about that we pinned our hopes on is just a repeat of another old thing. And everybody headed home. Then came Sunday. You talk about a new thing. Nobody expected a new Jesus, a resurrected Jesus. Nobody expected it. And Jesus wants to make this so clear that he is a new Jesus, a resurrected Jesus. He, there's five clues right in this passage that this is a new Jesus. Verse three is the first clue. He appeared to them. He presented himself to them. The tomb is empty. There's no body there. Jesus is not a metaphor. The idea of resurrection isn't just an idea. Jesus did it. He's a real living person in the flesh, physically present and alive. The second clue is convincing proofs. The word, that word means that which causes something to be known in a convincing and decisive manner. Jesus leaves no doubt that he's alive. Verse four, while he was eating with them. The resurrected Jesus is not a ghost. 
He's not some spiritual, ethereal force or being. He has a real body that eats real food. And he tells Thomas, touch me. Touch me. I'm not a ghost. It's not going to go through. I'm a real deal. The clue number four, he appeared over a 40-day period of time. Over and over and over again for 40 days, Jesus was with them. He was teaching them. If he'd, have been, if he'd only had one appearance on one day to a few people, nobody would have believed it. And clue number five, he appeared to them, them. He appeared to more than one person at a time. There's no such thing as a group hallucination. Those of you who were around in the 60s, you know that your hallucinations were very personal and very private. <laughs> and I'm sure we don't have a record in the Bible of all the appearances of Jesus. But just to make sure, the, the writers list 10 appearances of Jesus. I'll just give them to you quick. The women at the tomb, Mary Magdalene, the Emmaus disciples, Peter in Jerusalem, the 10 disciples, the 11 disciples, seven disciples fishing in Galilee, 11 disciples in Galilee, the 500, and James, the brother of Jesus. Jesus wanted them to know, once and for all, death does not have the last word. He has the power over every force that a human being can experience, including death, and Jesus wants to make that clear and convincing. We can't go on a road trip without seeing cemeteries, right? In fact, some of them are destinations on our road trips. Uh, how many of you have been to Arlington? Yeah, or some Civil War cemeteries, Hattiesburg, Gettysburg, Vicksburg, places that we go. And whenever I drive by a cemetery, whether it's on a road trip or just even driving here through town, and I look out at all of those tombstones, and some of them are weathered old, and some of them are fresh flower new. And as I drive by, I, look, I just think there's a name and two dates on them. And thousands and thousands and thousands of these gravestones in cemeteries. And the thought comes to my mind as I drive through them, and it's kind of sobering, these people are done. They're finished. They did all that this life on this side of the return of Christ can, can experience. They're finished. And whether they live 95 years or 95 days or 95 seconds, it's over for them. That's it. How many of you remember Looney Tune cartoons? Anybody? Yeah, everybody who raised their hand is over 50. Anyway. Um, there was a voice, Mel Blanc was the voice of so many of these characters. And every single Looney Tune cartoon ended with one of his characters saying this. Let's read it together. That's all, folks. In fact, that was so important to him that when Mel Blanc died, this is what he had his family etch on his tombstone. That's all, folks. That's all. And when they laid Jesus in the tomb and rolled his headstone over the front of it, Everyone said the same thing. That's all, folks. That's all. Apparently, death has the last word. Even over a powerful person like Jesus himself, death finally has the last word. And that's all, folks. But on Sunday morning, Jesus, the tombstone is rolled away and Jesus walks out and he says, no, it's not all, folks. There is more 
There is more. And in order for Jesus to do this new thing, to be a resurrected person, he had to go through death. In order for Jesus to actually overcome the power of death, he had to succumb to the power of death. In order for Jesus to be our savior, he had to die first. To become the one who could lead us through death and out the other side, Jesus said, I'll do it for you. I'll do it for you and show you that it can happen. And here's the point. To get to new, some things have to die. To get to new, some things have to die. And I think God wants something new for all of us this summer. But that might require some things in our lives need to die. They need to go. Uh, For some of us, it might be our picture of Jesus. We have an old Jesus in mind. We have an old perspective. Our picture, our experience is too predictable, too stuck in a perspective or the opinions of others. And that Jesus needs to die. And a new, living, resurrected, surprising, real Jesus can be present in our lives this summer. There might be something else in our life that needs to die in order for us to get to new. Some of you might be in a relationship that, you know what, it's just not healthy. Not healthy for you. It's not healthy for them. You've tried. And you just keep coming into the same cul-de-sac over and over again. And, it's, and you're just kind of lost here. But you're thinking someone is better than no one, so I'm just going to stick with it. Well, to get to new, sometimes, something might need to die. Later in this chapter, Peter, commenting about Judas, says this in verse 17. Judas, he was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Now, can you hear the, the sadness, the hurt, maybe even some anger in that statement by Peter? Judas, he was our friend. We lived three years together. We went down the road with Jesus. We experienced some unbelievable miracles together. We had this unbelievable relationship and then he goes and does that. In order for the disciples to move on into the new that Jesus had for them, they're gonna have to let that go. They're gonna have to let that go. And the only antidote for the infection of anger or bitterness is forgiveness. And Jesus has a ready supply. He says, you want to go on a new road? And some of us, we have, if I asked you, think of someone in your mind that you're holding something against in your life. If I ask you to call up that person in your brain, I bet we would all have someone. And Jesus is saying, all that energy that's going to making sure that you can stay mad at that person and punish them in your head. All that energy could be going to learning something new and it might be time for Jesus to offer you the antidote of forgiveness for that person and you pass it on and you can unpack that baggage and just leave it by the side of the road, leave it at the cross and we can go on lighter and with more freedom. Some of you have been carrying that kind of baggage for far too long to get to new. Some things have to go. And I don't know what it is for you. It might be an attitude, an addiction, a secret, embarrassing habit, an old dream, a boring routine, a view of God that is so locked down 
that there isn't room for a real God to breathe new life into your soul. And so to get to new. And I believe God wants all of us to get to something new this summer. We're gonna have to leave some stuff behind. Some stuff's gonna have to die. It's gonna have to be offloaded. And then when we begin to get to know this new Jesus, we get this number two thing. We get a new vision. We get a new perspective of the future. There's a little girl who grew up in the city, and one day as a school project, she, they went to visit a farm. And uh, she took her phone, as she usually does, and at the end of the day, she came home, and her, her parents said, what was your favorite thing from the farm? And she showed him this picture on her phone. And she said, I love all those little pigs blowing up that big one like a balloon. <laughs> right observation, wrong vision, wrong interpretation, wrong perspective. In verse 6, the disciples asked Jesus a question that I think took Jesus every single ounce of patience and compassion not to say to them, oh, are you kidding me? I've been teaching you about this for the last three years and you still don't get it? In fact, look at what he says in Acts 1.3. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about what? The kingdom of God. This in Jesus' mind is vision 2.0. And what do they ask in verse six, number verse six? Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom, what? To Israel. It's not the kingdom of, to Israel. That's vision 1.0. Jesus says for 30, for three full years, I've been teaching you about vision 2.0. The kind of life God has in store, not just for us, but for every human being on the planet. Then I died, rose from the dead, and for the past 40 days, Jesus said, I've been teaching you about the kingdom of God, and you're still stuck in vision 1.0, thinking it's about you. So think this, kingdom of God equals vision 2.0. And the definition of the kingdom of God is the world the way God wants it. Vision 1.0 is the kingdom of anything else. The kingdom of anything else is vision 1.0. And for them, it was Israel. What is it for us? It might be our country. It might be our vocation, our dream, our idea of God, our experience, our current understanding of Jesus. Vision 1.0 is all about me and us. Vision 2.0 is about God and everybody. You see, the nation of Israel was expecting the new Messiah to be tied to the success of their country. And in their vision, the true Messiah would be like, would kick the Romans out, eliminate evil, heal everyone, take over the leadership of Israel, and launch Israel onto the world stage of political, economic, social, and relational dominance and influence. That's vision 1.0. And this was so ingrained in the minds of Israel and in the minds of the disciples that the night Jesus was betrayed and goes on trial, the disciples are fighting right before dinner about who's gonna be the greatest when Jesus comes to do his power. Who's gonna sit next to Jesus? If you're on a road trip, who's gonna get to ride next to the driver? And they're fighting about this. And they're, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? And they're having all this story, I am, I am, I am. And in, Jesus knows that in their minds, great people have people that kneel before them. And so what does Jesus do? He gets up quietly, takes off his outer robe, gets a towel and a basin and kneels in front of every disciple and washes their feet. 
And then he gets to Judas. And he looks him in the eye. Jesus never, ever gave up on Judas. And he'll never, ever give up on you or me, no matter how far off the road we've gotten. And then Jesus says this in verse 27 of Luke. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? And Jesus says, is it not the one who's at the table? Vision 1.0, isn't that how people think about it? And then he says, but, but I am among you as one who serves. Does it take more power to sit at the table or serve the people at the table? Well, that depends on what kind of power you're talking about. And Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to serve. I want you to serve how? In Acts 1.8, he spells out this huge or super huge vision. He says, you'll be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem. All of Judea and Samaria. We're going on a road trip here. And where? And to the ends of the earth. Now that's a road trip, isn't it? If I said, hey, we're gonna start in Loveland, uh, we're gonna go to the country and then we're gonna go to the ends of the earth, now that's a road trip. And in fact, the book of Acts, this is all laid out. They're in Jerusalem, they go to Judea, they go to Samaria, so that's the road trip we're gonna go on. We're gonna go to these places together. And I can imagine how the big language and this big vision stuck with this little group of ragtag people. Jesus is saying to this little group in Jerusalem, oh, by the way, you're gonna, go, you're gonna be here in Jerusalem, the capital city. Then you're gonna go to Judea, and they're going, huh? Samaria, they're going, uh-oh, not going there. And to the ends of the earth. And they're all thinking to themselves, us? Me? You? Us? And yet historians look back on what actually happened. And we get to see the beginning of it in the book of Acts. And the historians, are, they just scratch their heads. They're simply astounded. It's an indisputable fact that there was a massive awakening that completely and utterly remade one of the greatest civilizations in the history of the world. It's an indisputable fact that about 2,000 years ago, there was a tiny group of peasants and slaves who believed that Jesus Christ was the preexistent Son of God, came to earth, became a human being, died and rose from the dead, and they witnessed it. They saw it. They experienced it. And that this little group, when it began, had no political power, no educational power, no cultural power, no economic power, and yet within two centuries, it had swept up millions and millions of people into this Christian movement in the Roman Empire. And these people experienced the joy and peace that they'd never had before. And it became the leading force in a Roman society that was falling apart. So much so that by the third century, the emperor had to acknowledge that this was a Christian society because it was the Christians and the Christians alone who were keeping that world together. Could that happen again? Could it happen here? Could hundreds and thousands of people get swept up in this movement of God led by people like you and me? We're no different than them. Empowered by God's spirit to transform neighborhoods, to transform communities, to transform countries, to transform worlds, could it happen again? That's God's vision, that's vision 2.0. But are we stuck, are you stuck in vision 1.0? It's about me, it's about us. It's about my little deal, it's about my job, it's about my family, it's about my comfort, it's about my pleasure, my, my retirement, my, what, you know, fill in the blank. Anything other than the kingdom of God is the kingdom of me, and that's vision 1.0.
What about Crossroads, our church? We've been functioning Vision 1.0. Are we ready for Vision 2.0? It's coming. It's coming. There's going to be change. You ready? It's going to be surprises. There's going to be twists and turns. You might want to get off. Me too. But if God's leading and driving, you know where we're going? Vision 2.0. That's where we're going. And I don't want to miss out. And I don't want you to miss out either. And you know what? As I look around, the people, I know a lot of you, you're up for this. You are. We're ready. We're ready. So we're going, bring it on. And what's it going to take? Number three, it's going to take a new spirit. It is. Jesus lays out this grand vision. And then he says in chapter four, wait. <laughs> like, go. No, wait. <clears throat> wait for the gift my father promised. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Jesus says there's gonna be a new, fresh outpouring of the Spirit. We've seen God's Spirit all through, the, all through the years, all through the centuries, but this is a new thing. And the Spirit is gonna come in such a way, a dramatic way, and does in Acts chapter two, that people, they have no category for it, so they accuse these people of being drunk. Smith's kid, well, it's kind of the way they're acting. They don't, they don't understand it. And the Holy Spirit is so present and prominent throughout the book of Acts that some Bible scholars think the book should be titled The Acts of the Holy Spirit instead of The Acts of the Apostles, which it's named. The, whole, the word Holy Spirit is used 90 times in the book of Acts. What is your experience of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis? <clears throat> you know, do you enter into each day, each situation with your life with a sense of, I'm not alone. God's Spirit is with me. Do you make decisions Acknowledging that God's spirit is directing you. To understand that God's presence is there and power is there no matter if you lack confidence or assurance of what's good. God goes, I'm with you, I'm with you. Do, you. do you do that? Or do you, like many people and me sometimes, go into our day with kind of a spiritual mindlessness, like my life's on autopilot. Uh, one day I was going to a very important meeting at Crossroads. There's a lot of important things that were going to happen. And it was an evening meeting. And so on my way there, I went through the drive through at Wendy's. And so I went to the kiosk and ordered my food. And I went to the first window and paid. And then I went to the office. <laughs> and I got to the office and I'm sitting down thinking about this meeting. And I realized I didn't pick up my food at window number two. And so I had to go back. She just smiled, thought, what an idiot, and, and I got my food. And I thought, do we leave the house in the morning and leave the Holy Spirit at window two? We get up, we go out throughout our day, we plan it, and we just go off in our day and leave the Holy Spirit at window two. Now, I know, theologically, we don't do that. The Holy Spirit is with us all the time. But unless we consciously sometimes acknowledge that, and the Holy Spirit has sup works in our subconscious as well, thankfully. But there is a sense of, I don't want to leave the best thing I need throughout the day at window two. So here's three things that we can do over the summer to have the fresh sense of God's spirit with us. Number one is listen for the spirit continually. As you go throughout your day, and this is something, this is a mental discipline. We have to learn to do this, I think. When our minds go on pause, in those little gaps in our life during the day, begin to learn to pray this, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. You're going to a big meeting. Come Holy Spirit, boom. You're driving down the road. Come Holy Spirit, open my eyes. 
You're, you're with someone. Come, Holy Spirit. Just learn that three-word prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Number two, be, relentless, re, be relentlessly responsive. When God's Spirit prompts you to do something, write that note, give that money, have the hard conversation, speak up in a meeting, do it. Do it. Just, oh, that's the Spirit of God prompting me. Do it. Just do it. Now, not every impulse is from the Holy Spirit. All the good ones are. All the good ones are. And here's the third thing. Do something bold and risky that requires the Holy Spirit's presence and power. Do something where when you go into it, you're thinking, God, if you don't show up, if your Holy Spirit isn't here, this is gonna be a disaster. What would it be for you? Bold and risky. Uh, Volunteer for something new. Step out. Meet a new neighbor. Apply for that promotion. Ask a person out. But thinking about asking that person out. If the Holy Spirit isn't with me, it's gonna be a disaster. Just ask. Pray out loud. Lead something you've never led before. Give something away. What is something bold and risky that you could do that, if, that you know that if the Holy Spirit's with me, I can do this. But if he's not, I wouldn't even attempt it. What is that? What is that? Because here's the deal. If we want something new, we have to do something new. If you want the same, you got it. Just keep doing it. You want new, do new. And some of the new is gonna require the presence of God's spirit. And God says, I will be with you. I'll be with you. I won't leave you. I won't leave you. If we only do what's safe and comfortable, we'll miss out on the strong sense of God's presence. So that's the third thing. And to get ready for something new, we might need number four, some new friends. Some new friends to go on this road trip with us. At the end of chapter one, there's 11 disciples. Judas is gone. And they nominate through a process that they believe is God-ordained, they replace Judas with a disciple named Matthias. They got a new friend, a new traveling companion on this road trip that they're gonna go on. Later in the book, this primarily Jewish group of people that is loaded with all kinds of Jewish traditional baggage, lots of religious baggage, this group is gonna face its biggest challenge. Because for hundreds and hundreds of years, they've been told that there's a certain group of people that you need to avoid. And if we're going to take this new Jesus, this new good news, this new spirit, and this new vision into the uttermost parts of the earth, to the ends of the earth, they're going to need to take it to people that they've spent hundreds of years avoiding, judging, criticizing, and believing are morally inferior to them. And we have that in our lives too. We do. And sometimes God, you know, as a part of the church, God brings some strange traveling companions. Just look around. We're us. We're us. And if we're genuinely interested in new this summer, we need to be open to new relationships, to new friends, to inviting people along that might be very different than us, who really need to understand the love of Jesus and from whom I can understand the love of Jesus in a way that I might not know today. That's new. So you ready for new? Do you want some new? 
And so there's two things we can do if we want to have new, new friends this summer. And the first is this. Tomorrow afternoon at Auto Pint in Fort Collins, Katie, Jess, Isaac, and myself will be there. All right? Just be clear, we're not buying for everybody who comes, but uh, we're there. Actually, Isaac said he'd buy the first round. He's not in the room, so I can offer that. No, I'm kidding. Um, and uh, we're going to be there. Want to meet some new people? Just come. Four to six tomorrow afternoon, Auto Pint, Fort Collins. You got a phone. You can figure out where it is. Um, but that's tomorrow. And uh, we just love to meet you. Come. Uh, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just have a meetup. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing, uh, we're, I'm going to give you a, a couple baby steps right now to meet, meet somebody new. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look around the room and uh, catch the eyes of someone you don't know and smile and wave at them. All right, just do that. Couple people, look around. All right, good, good. There you go. We've, we've taken a step already. Now I'm going to ask you to take another step. And I know for some of you who are going, oh, I just want to, you know, get my root beer float and look at those cars. I know what you're going to make me do here. Um, but this is part of going to new. And so I just want to ask you, don't do it yet, but I want to ask you to get up and I want you to get in groups of three or four of people that you don't know. All right, if you're a couple, you can meet another couple that you don't know, that's fine. Um, if, if you're not a couple, that's great too. Groups of three or four, no more. And then I want you to meet each other, first names, and then here's what I want you to share in that group. This summer, am I going on a vacation, a staycation, or nocation? All right, so I want you to do that. I'll give you, I don't know, a few minutes to do that. And uh, so find a couple people you don't know, share that, get your names, and then... Uh, and I'll call you back together. I'll give you a 30-second warning. All right, so get up, and let's uh, meet somebody new right now.
Okay, I'll give you about 30 seconds, so kind of wrap it up, 30 seconds. standing. Everybody stand up. So we're going on a road trip. Do you want to come? We want you to come. We really do. Just something new. Just something new. I'm ready. You're ready. God's ready. Why wouldn't we want to do this? Pick one of those four that I talked about and go, you know what? For this week, I'm going to focus on this. Is it a new Jesus? Do you need a new vision? Do you need a sense of God's spirit's presence with you? You've already met some new friends. Who knows where that might go? So you ready? Here we go.